We're back for season six of my podcast. I'm all about putting the human factor back into business by helping organisations become places where people are happy, well and able to perform at their best. And that's what my guests shed light on with their expertise and experience. As those who know me will be very familiar with, my mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. And that means we'll be covering a whole range of topics that impact on employee experience, engagement and mental well-being. And many of you will know that I hate tick boxes. So we'll be kicking those out, getting beneath the surface of shiny new initiatives, stripping back layers of complexity and going back to the fundamentals of good business. That's the people. This series runs alongside the launch of Leadership Labs and Manager Labs that I'm excited to be facilitating with the fabulous Gemma Ellison of Heart Leadership. These are interactive and dynamic communities that turn typical L&D on its head. If you are a manager or leader and want an opportunity to problem solve, challenge the status quo, experiment and evaluate all within a small supportive group, get in touch. More information and contact details are in the podcast notes. I'm your host, Lisa, psychologist, psychotherapist and founder of It's Time for Change. Thank you for joining me on Beyond the Water Cooler. Welcome, Chris Chamberlain. I'm so pleased to have you here today. Um, you're, I know, I know you from an event actually that John Hibbs uh, put on. I think was was that last year or the, was it earlier this year? I think it was early this year, but time is running away. Yeah. So, so John of Coefficient, and he was running um, an event with some people he was working with, and you're in the room, and I was like, "There's a guy I need to get to know." Um, and actually, John, um, after that, came on to this podcast and talked about um, what companies need to to find out about and tell what's really going on rather than what they really think might be yeah. going on. But before we get into the detail of um, what we're going to talk about today, Chris, I would love listeners to find out a little bit more about you and what you do at Mind in Guernsey, because I think for me, a lot of people I no, would associate mind with individuals and mental health. Yeah. And you work in quite a different way. You're, I'm guessing you're doing, you do some of that as well. But yeah. actually a lot of the work you do is much more about supporting whole organisations. So tell us a little bit more about what it is you do in, in mind um, and also what mind does more widely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, I, I came here what three years ago almost now. It's my anniversary, probably a couple of weeks back. So um, I actually came, and we'll talk about this more, I suppose, in a bit more detail in a bit. But I came three years ago as a uh, to develop coaching, and my real sort of love really is uh, workplace training around mental health. Um, and well-being in the workplace and um that quickly moved from there to uh moving up into uh, a management role um so basically i oversee the workplace now so i set the uh the targets and operational sort of targets and strategy around what we're trying to achieve there um and we are pro pretty prominent in the market here in Guernsey with that we're probably leaders for the training um we have a completely different view on it in terms of um we want to challenge the norm which is uh 
a lot of well-being washing that's going on in the workplace. So, so we build our products and our strategies around um, supporting workplaces, creating a great environment, and um, developing management and leadership to empower them to take it on. We don't want to own it. We we need to make a certain amount of money, but we'd rather we don't mm-hmm. need to make any money. So, so we go and in, go into workplaces, and we uh, we do a lot of. Uh, work with them uh, to to develop platforms and offer them training and advice. On the flip side of that, I oversee the therapy service here, which is one to one. So we have a fully fledged therapy service um, where people can come in. You know, they're not in a in their best place, um, and uh, they'll come and see a referral coach. And basically, we create a well being plan. Um, from all the therapies we have under our banner here, which is anything from psychotherapy to uh, equine therapy, which is working with horses. So wow. we're very creative in, in in where someone is in their life cycle and, and what meets their needs. So we're, we're so far-fetched for clinical. It's more about listening to that person, understanding what they need at that point in time. Um and then the flip side, the other side of that, which I oversee is the events and campaigns. So awareness and, and just general sort of fundraising to keep our lovely third sector. I don't like calling it third sector. We're, we're a professional mm-hmm. set of people. Um, not saying third sector aren't, but, you know, I treat it like an organisation. Um, yeah, to keep all, you know, that therapy service running because we see about, you know, four to five hundred people a year we get 11 people that would like to see us in a week but we can't manage that um and interestingly 75 percent of the people that come and see us are employed so um there's a stat for you <laughs> there's they're quite quite staggering stats actually just in terms of sort of the numbers who want to see you who do get to see you i think also that's really interesting that just challenging that perception so the number of people who come see who are employed and you know what people might think are the typical people who would go and um need to seek um support and advice that whole bit about language and perceptions you know you're you challenging the term third sector and it doesn't quite sit right and if you say that what people think and actually you like it to be thought of as something different um and I think that's one of the things I really like about you Chris is your real awareness around language and perceptions and how that impacts on people's expectations and beliefs and so on. Um, I, I know when I when I heard you speaking in the room the first time I met you and um, and actually what you've just said all about sort of, you know, being sust- sustainable, you know, you're not going in and taking over, you're about empowering and enabling other people and about challenging and not just accepting the norms and meeting people's needs and so on we absolutely talk the same language <laughs> um yeah. and you know when that it just kind of really clicks and it really resonates and I know from talking with you about um I don't know just resources and how you help the kind of practical support you want to offer people organizations you know we've talked about some of the sort of the anxiety team framework discussion resources that I produce and that sort of thing like actually if we just tweaked it a bit like this or if you could just do that to it or make it even better and you're really you've got your finger on the pulse in terms of what people need that's practical to make a real difference rather than always just talking about the stuff 
Yeah, well, I think it comes. It just comes from where I think I was and where I was probably treated. I think that's that. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not an academic. Um, I'm a. I, I I was thinking about this the other day actually. Um, so basically, everything I've learned is through football, and then you know, and, and it became or team sport, let's say, for argument's sake. And for me, I don't. I'm a I'm a visual learner, as many of us are, but it's all about patterns for me. Mm. <laughs> so I really like patterns of play. Um, you know, when you think about when you put in a password you're not actually putting in numbers you're you're putting in the pattern mm. and um and and I think I think you know for me that's 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 something that I try and create because I think it's easier for us as humans to to look at patterns as opposed to just words and numbers because you know it, it, it you know they they can cross over and mix and there's so many numbers and letters in the world already that I just try, I try and make life easier for, for, for everything, for me and the, the people I work with, basically, through through some of that. It's, but that really comes across, and I think there are enough academics in the world, and there are, are enough um, documents sitting on shelves telling you all about the theory of stuff and <laughs> yeah. um, what models you know it's and that's great there's definitely a place for that but there's a huge demand for people to say this is this is one way of doing it and this is how to do it and here's a really practical down-to-earth approach tell me a little bit about your story then because I'm really interested in hearing about what you've learnt about leadership style and yeah very much has emerged from your own experience tell us a bit yeah. about that well I, I suppose it all started really from school I was you know I was as a footballer and I, I I you know I wasn't ready for school was the bottom line I wasn't disruptive you know but you know I was in um I was in the bottom set and I used to walk into the class a lot of reflect now and it would be right do this and I used to just do it in 20 minutes and then I've just done 30 minutes of nothing but you know I was perceived to be some well I was told you know you'll never get anywhere in life um which it's it's still with me today that's that's something that I have to I use as a motivator but also it's challenging I think I said to you when I met all you you guys in that room in the in Oxford was um I've got terrible imposter syndrome um and I don't mind that I think I've learned to use it um whereas before it it would have just really made life difficult for myself um, but I left school. I I I thought I I would I had chances to 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 um, play at a different level. Didn't work out as it doesn't with many many young you know lads trying to make it in that industry. I I basically had epiphany that at about fifteen I was at a club in the UK, and I won't say which one it was, but I just saw the worst in human behaviour, like um, this competition and, and what it created. And, you know, if you were challenging someone else's position as you would come in when you're, you're trialling and stuff, 
um, they would just shut you down. The team would shut you down. And uh, I remember not being passed to, and, and, and I just thought, what am I doing? And I, I remember just saying, I, I was about halfway through a period of time, I was at this club, and I just walked into the coach's office. And I'd sort of been around a bit then already. And I travelled on my own. I didn't have my parents with me at a young age. So you had to stand on your own to feet. And I just walked in and I just said, you know what, you, you know what's going on here. I do as well. And he went, oh, my hands are tied. You know, and I and I, di I didn't go into it, but I said, "Can I use your phone?" And he said, "Yeah, what for?" I said, uh, "I want to. I'm, I'm going to call my dad. I'm, I want to leave today." And he and he, they just couldn't believe that I would do that and scupper any opportunity. But I was done. I was absolutely done with it. It was um, toxic, mm. and I think that's where I got my first taste for what a toxic environment can do a to you as an individual, but anyone else around you and um, I think I've got more to offer and, and ended up joining the airport fire service at, at 21 and that's where really I went through this massive period of uh, learning a lot about myself thinking I'm joining a fire service you know it's going to be disciplined structured I shall learn I'm very you know see visual and doing I like doing and helping people so so basically you know, I I got into that sphere and then all I saw after my learning and going to fire training for a period of time was um, the same thing that was going on in when I was 15, 14 at football clubs, like com competition, competing for, you know, an epaulet that says you're, you're entitled and you're someone different or the uniform, the badge, or slagging someone off. And I just thought, oh, my God. <laughs> After about four years, I thought, what am I doing? And I just shut down. I just shut down because I had a mortgage, I had children. Mm. You know, I didn't have the credentials. And I was part of the airport fire service. And, you know, you're basically ridiculed your plastic fireman you mm. you know you'll never see a fire and all that sort of stuff but it was still a job and it was still an important job that you had to work at but did um, you feel slightly trapped in that then because you have because oh. I think it's really interesting actually listening to you Chris talking about how when you're at the football club and it wasn't right for you, you just got out and when you're doing something else it's not right you just get out so you were quite uh, proactive and actually more so than a lot of young people would be but then you get to a point of having kids having a mortgage yeah. and suddenly that sense of responsibility can have a really big impact can't it, in terms of people's level of courage and yeah, yeah. ability to say actually this isn't right for me I'm going to go and do something yeah. else yeah I think I was really in conflict with myself at that point in time um I had quite a serious knee injury uh, about 22 um, and although I wasn't playing football, I was playing at the highest level in Guernsey, so playing for my island and going away to the UK and playing that, um, it all stopped at 22. Mm -hmm. So I lost my, um, what I thought was my purpose. Yeah. That came easy to me, but now I look back, I, I didn't actually, I don't actually love football. I don't, I don't actually, <laughs> um, but I lost my purpose. And there was about a 10 year period in my life where, um it was I was it was challenging you know I had this workplace situation I was a dad at 19 
Um, I had um, all these, you know, doubts, um, you know. And, and what it's interesting is I had a load of people around me because I was wanted. I always say this, I was wanted, you know, when you're in a club or you're part of Guernsey or, you know, you got people that know you through football, you don't really know, but they've seen you, they watch you. Um, is, you know, I'll never forget it. I had my knee operated on and I thought I had you know, loads of teammates and friends. As I'm lying in hospital with my knee on this contraption after a reconstruction, did anyone come and see me and ask how I was? Nope. Mm. Nope. And it suddenly dawned on me then, like, you know, um, this is this is the environment that wasn't me. Uh, anyway, I rehabbed because that's all I knew and I tried to get back and then someone, something happened and then I just thought, I'll give up. I've I knocked football on the head and I got called, you know, like you're a waste and you know, all of the things that people say and and I thought this is amateur football, what are you on about? You know, not it's not a career, it's not mm. it's not so so that was a difficult and you know, and I went through a 10-year period when I was at the fire service when I, I really was learning a lot about myself. But at the same time, it was quite dark at times. And I, I don't mean, mind admitting it. I had suicidal thoughts and I had a house, a good job. I had children. I had, you know, so, you know, when I reflect on it, you think, oh, where does that come from? And obviously, you know, I know more about that now than ever. You do wonder how many... Um... You know, you look at the rates of male suicide and how many people feel trapped in that way. It's the income. They need the income, particularly, you know, in an environment, you know, society as we are today with cost living and, and so on. Actually, how many people just get to that point of breaking because they can't walk away from it? So how did you turn it around? Because I know you talked to me before yeah. about um, you were looking at you became commander or um, I, I'm not sure the yeah. terminology, but you you managed to. Take yeah. this place of kind of have, trying to have more influence, I guess. Yeah, I think you got to make a choice, right? And you know, said so like, you know, I I don't want to just avoid by running away. So I had a choice to make, um, and I sat down, and I thought, right, Chris, you either step up or step away. Mm. Um, it's too easy at times to step away until you've really challenged yourself, and then uh, natural step for me was then to go to crew commander and then I got that pretty quickly and I think that was because of my the way I conducted myself I I never I don't judge I I don't get involved in conversations that are detrimental to me and the people around me so then I think my it, that was my I suppose natural leadership style is and alert mm. reflection that if I'm involved in something and I move up into that leadership role, that will stay with me forever. Mm. So it doesn't, and I'll have to work harder than just, you know, being honest and fair, mm. uh, you know, moving up and, you know, I'll have a greater um, sort of influence on the way people look at me. So, mm. so I, I sort of, clocked onto that quite early doors and I learned that in the bus like an 18 year old with a banter flying around a football thought I don't want to be involved in this and you know because it it is not it's it's not banter it's basically 
bullying, but you know, men call it banter. But, but, that, but that is also a really uh, good skill that a lot of people don't have. I mean, you you learnt that at eighteen. <laughs> there are a lot of forty-eight year olds that don't have that in that terms yeah. of awareness of what's going around them and the impact that has on people and that ability to make the decision to stand away from the crowd and kind of not join the social norms of you know I'm expected to be part of this group and to turn your back on that that is quite a lot of sort of self-awareness and sense of resilience and just courage to be able to almost go in your own direction yeah it is courage looking back at it but it's scary because you're also then isolating yourself from I always say negative is easier to win than positive because it's easier just to resist because there's so many people that just jump on the bandwagon of what they perceive negative to be and and I think you know and that's why I've always been you've got to stay strong with positivity because it will shine through in the end if you don't allow the the majority of the negative to come through and I suppose I've taken that with me and it's it's challenging and um being at the airport you know moving up into that sort of crew commander role so you get you basically become charge of a, a a small crew split between another crew commander depending on the role and it I, I got in there and and um you know, and I, I, on reflection, I thought um, I'm technically sound at this job, um, but there was something gnawing away at me that I, I wasn't, something wasn't quite right and I couldn't put my finger on it. Um, and then it, it just suddenly dawned on me, I think, we, we, you know, you think about my job at the airport, 75% of it, is off the incident ground it's off the training ground and and it requires a whole different skill level skill set i don't have the skills to manage people outside of the 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 incident command structure i don't have that skill set and i was honest about it in my interview and i said i you know i think that's an area we need to develop to create a more harmonious working environment because you know you can't you can't bring incident command into a situation which requires a bit more delicacy <laughs> or a different management style but then i didn't really understand it either and anyway i did i didn't get the job um someone else got it um who it, I, I was told that I was too young and the other person had more time in and, and they was older. And that, I, I won't swear, but I was annoyed by that because I knew I was performing at a, a different level. Um, so I thought, well, I'm not, you go through this cycle of two weeks of pain and being yourself. And I thought, no, no, no. What can you do to prove them wrong? So I brought a load of management for dummies, leadership for dummies books. I just started reading and it just started fitting in. And then I bought Terry Lee's um, 10 Habits of um, Effective Leadership or whatever. 
And I remember reading on holiday and Terry leads the Tesco by. And it's just like basic, you know, it's so simple. But what I loved about that book was he also made some glaring mistakes, like going into Thailand and didn't get the culture. And it was like, yeah, of course, you've got to understand where you're going, the environment, the what the social norms are in that that place you're visiting, whether it's Guernsey, Jersey, Newcastle or wherever, right? So, so then... I sort of went back and I started to think about workplace and I thought we've got it all wrong here. Our learning and development for our crew commanders moving up is that we need, but here's the basic, here's the the easy bit, the technical part, the incident command, the managing crews. We don't do enough of this. So I basically put it all together and said we would benefit from this. And they basically replied saying uh, we don't need that here we're incident commanders you've you've already got all that and so I um so I was like okay and I went in again and I said well it's it's not so I tried to explain it giving them some evidence and 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 where I'd learned from just these other books I'd read um and again pushed back Uh, but I don't think I was pushed back because they didn't think it was the right thing I think they pushed back because it was fear I think I was challenging a institutionalized, um, uniformed, and you know, we'll go into this in a bit, I suppose. But you know, if if there's not a place available, then, then that's that's absolutely fine. I'll pay for it myself. I got through that, and then I got, I did, I did my chartered management at the end. So I thought, you know, if I'm doing this, let's let's go for the whole lot, and um, and and then that's really where the next part of the journey started really is that I, I I made the challenge. People then were starting to look below me and say, well, this is great. We, you know, we need to start thinking about how we introduce this into our learning and development. Um, and yeah, so that, that's, that was sort of that, that journey, but extremely challenging at times, but mm. I suppose, you know, I, I really struggle with the word resilience because there's too much fluff around it. But I suppose you learn to be resilient by reflect. I always say reflect, learn and, and open the door and move through. You know, that's resilience for me. Um, and and you will. There is difficult times in that in that chain of learning about yourself. But um, I suppose that got me through sort of up until about 32, 33, I suppose. And yeah, I was a young young watch manager at that point. Mm-hmm. So what have you, in terms of what you learned about um, leadership then, and, you know, through your own experience and through those courses, through your reading, it'd be really interesting to hear your take on how, what you understand by situational leadership and just sort of be interesting to explore that a little bit more yeah so it's, yeah we're here but it's like what does that actually look like yeah so it's ken blanchard and uh, paul hersey i think coined the phrase situational leadership and i remember it coming up on the board and what i always do when i look at something i don't look at it as um as a given or what it is i don't i'm not looking at the picture if you like mm-hmm. i'm looking about how does this apply that's that's my, my my how my brain works 
how does it affect the people I work with? How does it affect me? How can you link it to the situation and the environment? Um, so I looked at this and I applied it to a cycle of my cycle of where was I when I got promoted? I used to have lots of knowledge as a firefighter, but when I get promoted, I go right back to the bottom and I've got none. Mm. And, and this is situational. So, so I needed mentoring. I, need, I, I didn't need the coaching bit. I didn't get coaching anyway, because no one did that in my place. Um, it was more, it was very di di dictatorial sort of dictatorship and mm. you which we'll explain more about, but um, mentor. And then that mentor, as you learn and you're, you're being supported and you're being provided with a learning and development and you've got that person that you can bounce off and make mistakes, you know, reflect, being allowed to make mistakes without criticism. Moving to the next stage of, you know, starting then to move into doing it yourself with a little bit of mentoring stroke coaching, moving into the next bit of coaching uh, and then and then finally the last bit where you know you've done your learning, you you don't really need someone to fall back on, but there's somewhere there something there if you need it. There's learning and development cycle and a, uh, and and sort of like um, an ecosystem where it just keeps you, moving forward learning and developing uh, and improving as a an individual because i think that's the most important thing a as a person but b in your in your role at work mm -hmm. your job role because that for me is where all the meaning and purpose is um and and then it suddenly dawned on me actually meaning and purpose is what's missing mm -hmm. So, so situational leadership, and then I thought, looked at that, and I think, well, that's a very sort of narrow looking at it. Situational lead, what leadership style do you apply at each segment? And then I thought, you can use this anywhere. You can apply this anywhere if you understand and are aware of all the pros and cons of each leadership style. So, there's lots of leadership styles, you know, autocratic democratic, laissez-faire, transactional, bureaucratic, you know, empathetic leadership is the one now you need to learn. Mm. Probably go into that in a bit more detail. But, and then I thought, well, if you know the leadership styles, you are aware of the situation, you can then apply yourself as a manager to that situation to get the best outcome. Basically, I went from a very bureaucratic leadership style that incident command is. Mm -hmm. and I basically got the guys up from my watch, 10 guys, and I said, I basically went, um, I think I've got it all wrong. <laughs> I just said, I've got it all wrong. You, you know your jobs. You know your jobs. I want you to start telling me how we achieve what I'm going to put on the board to our training stuff like an engine fire, how we approach an internal fire. I just gave them the tools. And, you know, through a process of, um, you know, engaging transformational, transactional leadership, 
empowering my staff. Cut a long story short, we worked on the uh, engine fires and, and I only stipulated two things. You safety first and you have to wear breathing apparatus because at that time people were still, you know, not really wearing breathing apparatus. And they said, well, and our goal is we need to reduce the time that I timed us last week, just doing it the way we've always done it. I said, but I'm not telling you how to do it. We're going to work out together. I said, here's your resources. Here's what it looks like. What do you need? I asked them, what do you need? And um, and so I want you to build the tactics and techniques around it that we've never done before. And it took about three months, but we shifted. I think we were about two minutes 30 to get in branch water on fire to i think one minute 45 with breathe with air breathing apparatus on but that was that the reason for that though everyone was invested mm -hmm. everyone knew, um everyone was aware of each other's roles and what i built in as well is the, the, there's have you ever heard of locked in locked in sort of syndrome i think it came from a korean airways disaster where in Korea, the the pilot was military and you never doubted them. You never asked the question. And it created one of the biggest air, air disasters in. Yeah. And the learning from that was, is that we we created a system that didn't benefit, you know, yeah. a dynamic situation. So. And, that that, was, and I think that's where now there's a lot of like, um, you know, whether it's, airlines pilots and and various other industries that it, they take psychological safety to the the next level i mean they practice that brilliantly don't they in terms of you have to feel safe to speak up at any point about and challenge any aspect of practice yeah. and admit mistakes and so we can learn from them and and so on and yeah. that's that's a really good example of why <laughs> yeah exactly so you know and there was lot look there was lots of challenges in through this place because a you know the other watches were looking at us, seeing things that are doing different and going, You, this is how toxic this place was, going into the chief at the time. I didn't call him the chief because it doesn't make no sense to me. Um, it's fire service manager and saying, they're doing things differently. We don't like it, blah, 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 blah. And um, they told me to stop. Even though I evidenced it, I had all the numbers. My team was saying how much they enjoyed coming into work. They were being challenged, stretched, learning. You know, they were telling me how to do stuff. I said, you're the firefighter. I'm not a firefighter anymore. Mm. You tell me how this needs to be done. Um, yeah, so I got told to stop. Um, but I didn't. I gotta say, I can't imagine you stopping because you're you're uh, someone who likes to challenge status quo. And that's it. And if you you know that you're having a positive impact, and you know that you've got a team of people who are benefiting from that, you know the yeah. the the evidence, the outcomes speak louder than that voice saying stop. What we need to do is learn from the past and move forward, so we can write a new book, a new chapter, because that's how we've got to where we are now. You know, that's, we don't and, read. Yeah. And I think when, when companies do that within their companies, so obviously that the fire service was not in the right place to be thinking in a more progressive way. But when companies allow their 
employees to tell their own story about what it's been like and then so they can learn from that story to move forward I think it's so so powerful so it's a bit like reading these books which aren't uh, theories they are people's experience what they've learned from their own experience it's like don't make the same mistakes here's how it works really well it's like that's brilliant Let, let's share that and let's learn from it we learn from lived but, experience yeah so you can learn from the books but you can also learn from the people in your own organization yeah, yeah. who's saying this is my experience and this is how we've done it for ages and this is yeah. why I think we do it but actually have you thought about it's not rocket science is it no no I mean I learned really early on that basically if you want you know if you want to move at a pace the the people is it's every the people around you have the generally will have the answers if if you're willing to cast aside you know your yourself I, most of the time I think it's us that blocks mm-hmm. you know the through whatever pride or I need to have the answers and that's where this leadership stuff comes in I've got a thing with leadership and it's like you know, um, lot, lot, you know, I I'm a director of a company. I'm a leader. No, you know, you know, and and I quite often ask when we're training. I said, you know, um, who 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 is promoted on time and experience? And they all put their hands up. And I said, who's who's got a you know a people management degree or diploma or you know name me? Oh, it's one of them. Is name me? Um, you know leadership uh, style styles how many can you come up with they come up with about three mm-hmm. and and all that tells me then is that they then can't apply the right style at the right time to get the best outcome of mm-hmm. the, the, the teams or, or the situation they're in um, so so you know and there, there's just so much learning that you can do to be a better manager. And I think my my thing was always to be the best manager I can be. I, my whole work is about getting the best out of the people that are around me to meet the organisation's organizations needs. Mm. Um, and that's where situational leadership will really suit you. Um, and the question I've got, which is just to be slightly controversial, because everyone talks about being authentic and how important that is. And situational leadership is about that awareness of having to change your leadership style, depending on who you're engaging with, what the um, context is and so on, and just being very aware of what's needed of you. And I wondered what your opinion might be, Chris, of how to align those, because there'll be some people, and I've heard not very many, but some people say, well, hang, how does that feel being authentic? Because being authentic is me just turning up how I am and people just have to accept me how I am. Yeah. And um, and then, of course, that doesn't, that kind of, that isn't what situational leadership's about. No. But how do you get around that? Because I, And I know, uh, I thought I'd ask you because I know you're very self-aware, you're very uh, tuned into emotional intelligence and you know, sort of empathy and so on. So I thought it'd just be an interesting question to see what, how would you respond to that? Well, emotional intelligence is, is that in, in key. It's that, it, you know, I remember looking at Daniel Goldman stuff years back and I thought, oh my God, this is it. You know, and I thought, but first things first is yourself. Mm. 
And I work with lots of clients and always say, what about you? Mm. Talking about everyone else. So, so I, I, it's, it, it's challenging. And that's why you have to be really comfortable with you. You have to, we all have stuff, you know, we all, we all would have been through, you can't go through life without having adversity. It's, it's not. What's really important is, is to lay bare the stuff you, you might have been holding on to because it will restrict you when you need to apply yourself in a situation because you're, you might bring that, that side where, you, I don't know about you, but I, I always know when someone's not their authentic self, mm. you know, and, and, and I, I'm a true believer that they do too. I think they're in conflict with their value system and you, you'll know about that sort of stuff. Um, so, and I, I'm a firm believer that up through my learning and what, I did, what I've done over the years is that um, don't, if you don't bring your authentic self, people will know anyway. So yeah. what I'm creating is a fallacy and people know that it's a fallacy. I use the word fraud quite a lot. Mm. I don't want to be what I want. So, so it is. It is. It is challenging, but there's a difference, and the difference is this: it's self care is the bottom line. If I'm coming into work and I'm not in the best place, it will impact the people, my work, and everyone else around me. Um, I can't just put on a a game face mm. there are times there is a difference between i can do that at home right because that's my family so it is important for managing leaders to have boundaries um and i think the difference is is that you have to be in tune to yourself what's going on for you right now and the environment and i always i always say to people that the real ability in, in great leadership is their ability to pause absolutely so you and that's that in tune with yourself so if i feel for example that i'm getting quite anxious about someone that's challenged me i don't respond hmm. but to say can you give me 10 minutes just to finish up what I'm doing and then come back in and let's have a let's have a chat because what it does is it gives me the space and time just to ground myself understand what's going on mm-hmm. and, and then have a proper conversation um, and I don't think and the problem in these busy work environments for cost and so we don't have the time for this but um, and then and then I have to think about what I'm bringing to that conversation in terms of at times you want to bring your authentic self but sometimes you have to draw on your experience and bring in something that's going to help that situation as opposed to a reacting Mm. just blindly Mm. and or not or being too authentic because it is the workplace it's different from home right absolutely i think those boundaries are really important because i think being authentic it does not mean I can just go in to work and I can uh be 
um, I can swear lots and I can be um, very prejudiced and I can, you know, that there are boundary, professional boundaries. So we still have to stick to those, but it's about understanding what authenticity really means. And I think being self-aware and, you know, I like what you said about being able to um, engage with that. So for example, being able to pause yeah. um, and you're engaging your kind of logical, rational, um, intelligent brain rather than an emotional response um, and also just being able to communicate to other people that actually if you're having a an off day or something that's fine because you're human so you can bring your authentic self within professional boundaries but yeah. you can still apply yourself in different contexts that require something different of you so and that might be a, a particular context or that might be a particular environment or in particular individuals so some individuals I'm guessing might need more direction from you. Some individuals might need you just to sit back and observe and congratulate. You know, it's about being aware of what's required of you in different situations at different yeah. times, yeah. but still being able to show up and say, you know, I'm in great form today, or I'm not feeling myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, part part of that learning was for me was um, I basically thought I need to be better at the coaching part. So I went and did a five-day coaching program, not the high-level stuff. So mm -hmm. I needed to learn more about how I listen, active listening, and I learned so much that I wasn't actually a very good listener. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but and and this is this part again, isn't it? We will be stretched and challenged all the time. The but you must be self-aware about. And 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 that self-regulation. I think it's one of the most important aspects of of management leadership. Um, it is because you're taking care of you, and I think I think it's it's very. Most people I meet that have got themselves into a bit of a state is they give to everyone else but stop caring about themselves. And it's because it's easier, right? I mean, it's it's just, um, it's default mode. It's like, well, let's not think about me. Let's, let's, um, and, and, and the problem is within the workplaces is when this happens a lot um, and or I need to portray myself in a light because, I want to be like that person above me who emails at eight o'clock at night. And then I've got, you know, in these situations uh, that occur and they go, oh, that's that's leadership then, that you you work long hours and you email at eight or night at night. It's not, it's a fallacy. It's not, it's never been written in policy. It's an, it's, I call it the unintentional culture. That's mm -hmm. always created. You know, I as a lead, I never emailed past five o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. I, I don't reply. Yeah, and what I've created is is not a perception of I don't do anything. Is everybody knows when they can get a hold of me, so their expectations have switched. Yeah, it's not. It's, yeah. Not, it's not that if now if I emailed at eight and then I don't reply because I usually do it, then their expectations are well he should. So you create your own expectations. You create your own cultures. You create unintentional, unhealthy habits. Mm. Um, and you know, and we're all busy at times in our life. And I've just, I've just said something out on LinkedIn about um, we're learning now that um, you know, always on and being busy affects our emotional intelligence. Well, well, yeah, it's like I read these things. I go, well, yeah, it's no brainer. But 
we have to research it to, <laughs> to tell ourselves that, you know, because at the end of the day, when I go home, I go home to be present with the people I love and care about. Mm. Why, why should, it's completely unfair that workplaces are not allowing that to happen, but they want the best of you when you come into your workplace. Mm. It's like, you know. It, it, yeah. So what would you say, I'm aware of time, Chris, what would you say, because I've got so many more things I want to ask, but if I'm going to think about the last couple of questions I'd like to explore, what would you say that a couple of the main advantages do you think of situational leadership? It'd be interesting to know sort of what, what your thoughts are around the benefits it really brings to an organisation. So why leaders who may not be aware of this style and I will link to this podcast to a, a blog that explains a bit more about it yeah, yeah. Um, but what are the advantages why should people bother um for me the the biggest the biggest thing is it well there's a few things really it allows you to flex and and adjust according to what's in front of you so you're able to move at speed mm. with um with people that can help you do it so you don't you don't sit on your own um now there are times and this is situational leadership where you will have to make a decision uh, and you use that autocratic style because it's either risky or dangerous and they look into you that's leadership um so you'll have to do that so it teaches you to really pause before diving in so i always ask myself the question because I've just got into the habit of it. Okay, what do I need to leadership style? Do I need to apply here to get the best outcome? Um, or, or what will help with this? Um, how can I? And sometimes I have to do it and make some things that people don't want to us to do. I have to say, no, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. I see their face. Um, but it's not aligned to our operational plan and we're super busy as it is. So I'm sort of protecting them at the same time. And it always comes back that, you know, um, actually that was, you know, pretty good decision because all, most of the time it's 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 about the team making the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, you're instilling an intentional culture that creates a better working environment. You are giving over leadership skills without even knowing it. Um, You're promoting the right behaviours in your organisation. And I don't, I think this is one of the most underrated thing is is organisations are learning and teaching all the time. They're quite often not promoting the right behaviours because they've either promoted the poor behaviours, i.e. someone that's quite toxic, into a leadership position. And as soon as you do that, you say, okay, so that's the way I've got to act. I walk all over people and I'll get a promotion. And so so you've got to you've got to go really deep with this stuff for organizations. You've got to look at your onboarding, your roles and procedures. You've got to you've got to go quite deep. And that's that's where we go with our when we go into workplaces. Uh, it, it builds real meaningful connections. Great communication comes from this um and maybe one of the most important things that i learned is i want to take a person from 
being independent to dependent on people and then we move them to interdependence mm. as Stephen Covey's seven habits mm. you know that's truly where we're taking people and teams are interdependence where I can do it myself but I also work with my team to get the best um and then just performance ensuring learning and development at the right time for that person and you know in in their career pathway every time someone's promoted just whether you're very confident of yourself you've always promoted to the least of your ability mm. the way I look at it and I'm okay with that then so in my mind I've prepared myself that I need to learn what I need to develop um, and what we always ask companies is what's your onboarding procedure like for managers directors um and they don't generally don't have any because it's all around technical but then when they get promoted to manager they go oh by the way you're managing eight people Um, and you know there's a lot of neurodiversity in the workplace right so that person might have been a better person sort of on their own you know and there's nothing wrong with that it's just you're creating a situation are there any disadvantages yeah, I, look, I mean, there's disadvantages. In my view, if you use it correctly, there's there's, there's very little. Mm. Um, the, the disadvantage to all these things, and when I was writing my sort of papers on it, the disadvantages are um, it, it's it, there's there's an element of time where you you're really you've got to set aside for yourself for self development, and. Um, and some people just see that as a too challenging in the workplace environment. But the argument is, well, you 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 know, if you've got no time to self-develop in your working time, then then you're not going to grow. So so th- that is a challenge, and, and I guarantee you, you'll fail. Mm. You'll fail at the start. And if you read um, John Marquette, I think, Turn the Ship Around, he'll tell you how he failed. Failed for a year. It was, and now his leadership program is is the bedrock of the submarine, um, US Submarine Corps, I think, or whatever that is. Okay. But he failed at the start. And it was one person that believed in him that said, I want you to go to our lowest performing submarine. And he turned it around within six months because of, basically the style that I, that I used as well and I, I learned a lot from this guy you know that so um and that was the quickest he went from the poorest performing nuclear sub to the highest performing in six months something like that but it was all around his his style and what he brought and I think that whole sense of uh expecting to fail and knowing that if you're doing something new and you're stepping outside of you know your comfort zone and you're trying new things not only is it your own expectations and experience that you're bringing to it but what everyone else is expecting of you you cannot succeed the first time and I think for me one of the disadvantages of somewhat an individual saying right I want to change my leadership style I want to be sort of a more of a situational type leader actually if you're not in the right environment that's going to support that and back you and look at how that fits in with the wider organization then you could be setting yourself up to fail more than you might in a different organization where they're embracing it so there are some quite tricky conversations to have and I think but that comes back to that level of self-awareness when you pause and say am I in the right environment for me to be able to practice a style of leadership that is authentic and feels good for me and I know makes the biggest difference to other people so 
you know, I, I applied this. I had lots of challenges. Um, I was, I was um, ostracized mm. by two watches and senior management. And then people started coming on to a watch on overtime, enjoying it and loving it. You know, it wasn't just training, right? It was the fire, you know, we had to maintain stuff. Mm. And I'll never forget it where it changed was a, a company coming from the UK and they look after the fire vehicles, we've got specialist vehicles. And they said, whose is this vehicle? It's the cleanest out of all of them. That was through, that was done through transactional leadership. Mm. That was done through creating a, they create their cleaning process for it and 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 the bottom line and, and also what standards we held ourselves to so if someone stepped out of line we could easily manage it so what would be your key takeaway if I was going to give, ask you for one piece of advice to say anyone listening to this to think about their leadership style what would be your piece of advice um go and I, I you know what Go and look at all of the leadership styles and look at the pros and cons. Start looking at that transaction. You know, if you've got something where you're building something, you know, look at that transactional leadership style or the transformational one and, and how how you as a management leader then bring in the, the task and the people and 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 just apply it and watch it grow. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all around really it is around that self-development you you've got to go away and and this is what I always say when people come in and I do coaching you know, how much do you want it you know it's below a seven out of ten I, I say well we're gonna need to do a bit more work on what you really want because um you know if you want to be the best you can be then you, you've really got to go out there also ask your organization you know go and go and say you know i want to be i want to learn more about emotional intelligence leadership or or management um we've spoken about it like managers are left in this this void they don't get enough so you know, if you've got a one-to-one, go 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 and ask, or and don't 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 feel rejected if there's nothing there. It's it was within your power to go and you know I I just went and bought a ten pound book from W H Smith, and that's yeah. where it was wanted. So you know, there's there's some just great stuff out there, and just I I would say just believe you know if you want to do better just believe in yourself and, and care I think one of the most important things is, is care care about yourself and care about about the others around you and then you you will get it back in spades you know when you do that that's the bit about being human isn't it why I always talk about putting the human back to back into business um Chris we've got to stop unfortunately because time is running away I there's so much more I'd like to ask you but um but I can't. So um, there's what there's time for one more question, which yeah. is from another guest of mine, Olivia Sharp. I'm ready for this, but I'm not sure Bridge. what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so she's from Eaton Bridge Partners, and she's got a lovely question for you, which is simply this: What are you brilliant at? It's weird. It's strange you ask that question. Um, I don't know. Don't know. I. I think this is 
I don't want, I don't, it's, it's a part of me, I did my bell bin and I'm not a great believer of these things, but my bell bin, there was one thing at the leadership, but everything was in the middle and everyone else's was scattered. And I just think I'm pretty good at being average in every aspect. So, and what I, I think I've learned from that is a, a friend who's a psychologist here said, I think that's why you're a good manager and leader though, Chris, is because you can, you sit in on every chair, but not, not always the one that has to have the, the loudest voice. So, but then maybe that makes um, a brilliant leader in the sense of you can, if you think you're average at a lot of things, it brings a different quality about you to your role as as a leader. And I would argue that from listening to what you've described today about how you operate and how you think and how you communicate and everything, um, I would definitely put you into a category of you are you'd be a brilliant person leading people within an organization. Chris, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really interesting. And very inspiring actually hearing your story and how you've turned around expectations and beliefs about you uh, into the, the amazing work you're doing today. And yeah, truly inspiring. I think we're going to put um, a number of references in the show notes that people can um, read up for themselves a bit more about how they want to lead with intent. So thank yeah, you very yeah. much. Okay. Thanks, Lisa. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. I invite you to think about one thing that you will take away to think about or do differently. I'd be really grateful if you can give me a thumbs up on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for an extra brand point, leave me a short review. I'm really keen to help drive real change for better practice in the world of people at work and spreading the message will help that. I'd love you to also join the club to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about exciting things that I'm developing, including free downloadable resources. Please do reach out to me directly to discuss the topics covered on this podcast or perhaps other challenges around people at work. And if we're not already acquainted on LinkedIn, please connect. All the links you need are in the show notes. Until next time, bye for now.